Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, or parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, if you remember where we left off last week, Paul has just said that if we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our worship of God, then we will know what God's will is for each of us. Remember, we'll know His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We looked at the fact that you'll never figure God out, yet if you humble yourself on a daily basis, He'll show you His will for you. He immediately goes from that to talking about our different roles and ministries in the body of Christ. Remember, we looked at before in our study, we received mercy for a reason. Paul said, for this reason I received mercy, and he talked about what his role was. So, there are good works that God prepared in advance for us to do before He saved us. Remember how we looked last time we were together, kind of catch you up with it in where Paul left us off. We looked at Ephesians 2.10. We all know verses 8 and 9 about how we've been saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's, it's not of our own works. It's the gift of God. So, no one can boast. Verse 10 in Ephesians 2 says this, For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. What I want to do real quick is take you with me to Titus chapter 3. I want to make sure that we're all clear on something that, that the letter to Titus deals with. We're not saved at all by our works. Yet, after salvation, one of the strongest evidences of our salvation will be works. And we have to learn that balance. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Paul tells Titus, remind them to be submissive. This is the, the churches that he's left Titus in charge of. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for what? Every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? To good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. All right, so listen closely to what he's saying here. We were saved not by our good works, but by his grace through faith alone in what Jesus did for us. But now that we've been saved, we should be devoting ourselves to good works. Now be careful. That's where the preacher and teachers are going to come in and tell you what your good works are supposed to be. 
And Paul is going to begin to lay out for us and show us, no, God's already predetermined what those good works are. Remember Ephesians 2.10, where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for each of us to do. He's just said, if you offer your body as a living sacrifice, this is your worship of God. This is your service. He'll show you his will. And then he moves into where we're going tonight. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each of you with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. Now, before we get into the different gifts and the different roles that are available to us, the good works that God prepared for each of us to do, I want to show you that the Bible actually teaches that, like we just read in Ephesians 2.10, God prepared the good works he has for you to do after salvation when? It said ahead of time, beforehand. Actually, the Bible teaches us he actually prepared the good works that he had for you to do before you were born. Wait a minute. I didn't trust Jesus until 1973. Yeah, he knew you were going to, though. And he prepared in advance what he was going to do through you. Why have you received mercy? Go with me real quick and take a look at Galatians chapter 1. Now, I know the question that's going to come into your minds as I read these passages to you. And I'm going to answer it, but not right away. So just hang on to it. Go to Galatians 1. Look at verses 11 through 17. Paul's talking about himself. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So look at how Paul describes. He said, the one who had set me apart for this role before I was born. Go to Acts chapter 9. We get a little more information from God himself, from Jesus himself, speaking about Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 15, Paul has just been blinded by the Lord Jesus, and he's met him face to face. In Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10, Jesus is now speaking to Ananias, a believer, and he says in verse 10, this says there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now look, look at what Jesus says about Paul. He's a chosen instrument of mine to go bring my name in the gospel before who? The Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. But don't miss what, what Jesus is saying. I didn't just save Paul. I have a reason for why I saved Paul. And there are good works that I prepared in advance for, for Paul to do before he was even born. 
Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. I know the question. Hang on to it. Go to Jeremiah 1. Look at verses 4 through 10. Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah, when he heard that God came to him and said, Hey, I've chosen you before you were born to be a preacher and to be a prophet to nations. What was Jeremiah's reaction? I can't do that. Isn't that what Moses said when God called him? I, 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 I can't speak. But God says, good luck with running away from my plan for you. I have a plan for your life. And I had this plan before you were born. You might not have realized it until later in life, Paul. You might have not have come to realize it until later in life, Jeremiah. But I didn't just save you. I saved you for a reason. You weren't saved because of your good works. You didn't earn this salvation. That's a gift of mine by grace. But now that you've been saved, you need to devote yourself to the good works that I prepared in advance for you to do. Ones that I planned before you were born. Go to Luke 1. Look at verses 13 through 17. Now i got two or three of you out there that have a couple more questions that have come up. We'll answer them. And if not, raise your hand later on and you can ask it. Luke 1, look at verses 13 through 17. The angel said to Zechariah, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In John the Baptist's case, his parents have been praying for a child for a long, long, long time, and they weren't able to get pregnant. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? But when it did happen, God made very clear, oh, by the way, um, this child is not to do whatever you want it to do. I've set this child apart before he was born for a specific role. Now, here's one of the questions that came into your mind. Jim, you've shown us that Paul and Jeremiah and John the Baptist were all set apart before they were born for a specific role. I can almost see how God would do this for preachers and apostles and prophets. But does that apply to everyone? Has he got specific things for all of us who aren't called to be preachers? The answer is yes, and I'm going to show it to you from the Bible. Go to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Look at verses 1 through 11. 
the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent and table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And God's, when God's given Moses the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, he said, listen clearly, carefully. I want it to be so long, so high. Here's the directions. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be this Ark of the Covenant and it to be built this, this certain way, this long, this high, with these types of poles and these rings, and it's to be carried in this manner. Oh, and don't run off. Don't just start signing people up. I've already chosen who I want to build them, and I've given them through my spirit, the ability to do so. Did you catch that? There are some people that have been gifted by God not to preach or to teach. There have been those who have been gifted by God to fix and to build and have craftsmanship that is necessary in the worship of the Lord and the plans that he has for their lives. Go to, go to Exodus 36. It gets a little bit more specific about what we just read. Exodus 36, verses 1 and 2. Bezalel and Aholiab, do they sound familiar? Those are the two guys that God had set apart along with other men. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. These individuals that God had set apart and chosen to be the ones who did the work, who put the gift in them to do it? God did. And at the same time, he stirred their hearts for, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. They got excited about, that's where I'm supposed to be. That's what I've been created for. That's what my gift is. And they got excited about it. Now, as we're going to be moving into tonight, and we'll talk more about it as we continue on in Romans, but as we're going to deal with a lot tonight, each of us have been saved by God, not just so he could put us on a shelf, but for good works, which he's preparing in advance for us to do. Before you were born, he had planned all this. Listen, though, he's not only given you this ability, he's going to stir your heart and he's going to awaken it at the time when it's time for you to know now. But here's the problem. Once we get our hearts stirred and we know what it is we want to do, we have a tendency to run ahead of God. I know what it is I want to do, and we go and try and do it. What does Paul say? Go back to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 3. As you're finding out what God's will is for your life, slow down, take a deep breath, and for by the grace given to me, this is the role I've been given as an authoritative apostle in the church, I say to everyone among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with what? Sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're going to deal with that in just a second. So as we offer ourselves to God for him to use us however he wants and however he's chosen, he's going to stir our hearts to serve him in certain ways that line up with what he has in mind. Listen, but we must do this with sober judgment. Don't run ahead of God's plan or his timing or your gifting. Just because you all of a sudden know what it is that God's called you to do doesn't mean it's going to happen today. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, I'm just going to hit a small portion of Joseph's story. In Genesis 37, look at verses 5 through 11. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves all gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are, we, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers, and he said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph gets these visions from the Lord as to what God had prepared for Joseph to do down the road. And he just assumes it's going to happen sooner than God had planned. And he runs and tells everybody. By the way, how'd that work out for him? Now, the brothers decided, you know what? Let's just not hate him. Let's kill him. He ends up being sold as a slave. He ends up going to work for Potiphar. He ends up uh, being thrown in the dungeon. Now, God prospered his hand in every way that where he was. But it wasn't until 20 years later that what God had put in his heart finally came to fruition. You've heard me say this to you before. Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, but it was 15 years before he became the next king. Abraham was told, you're going to be a mighty nation. You're going to have so many descendants, they're going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. It was 25 years later that Isaac was finally born. We have a tendency to, first off, just try to go do whatever we can for the Lord or what other people are telling us we're supposed to do. That's why whenever church, every church I've been pastor of, I got rid of the nominating committee. Because the nominating committee's job was to call everybody in the church directory and fill all the spots. There wasn't a whole lot of prayer. There wasn't a whole lot of, are you gifted, are you called? And so we just try to get everybody to do something. You do all realize in the parable of the talents, he gave some five, another two, and another one, each according to their ability. Yet we in the church have been taught everybody's supposed to pull an equal weight. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's going to be some that are doing more than others, and that's okay. But each of us have been called to be a part of what God's doing. You weren't just saved. You were saved for good works. You should be devoting yourselves to those good works. And God's already prepared what they're to be, and He's already put His gifting in you, and He's going to stir your heart toward it. Slow the roll. But each of you need to not think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
but each with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been assigned. What does that mean? What does it mean when he says accordance with the measure of faith that you've assigned? Well, I'm going to take you through that tonight in the time that we have left. There's a lot to it, and I can't wait to show it to you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to break this down. It's all use our gifts in accordance with the measure of faith that we have been what? Assigned. Isn't that what it says? Measure of faith that you've been assigned. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. And look at verses 4 through 11. As you're turning there, let me just say this to you. God has assigned our roles in the church, which is his body. And he's also assigned the gifts that accompany those roles. I'm going to read to you verses 4 through 11 and then verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. It says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. By the way, you might not have seen that, but the Trinity's right there. Do you see it? There's varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, that's Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, the Father, who empowers them all and everyone. Now, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Do we all have the same roles? We're not, right. We're not going to take the time to break down all these different gifts that are listed here. That's not the purpose of our study tonight. What I want you to understand, though, is not everybody has the same role. Not everybody has the same gifts. And God has determined what our gifts and our roles are. And he has assigned them. He's assigned them. Now go to verses 12 through 20. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul says, for just as the body is one and has different parts and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? And as there are many parts, yet one. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Do you see what he's saying? Who determines when, what we have? And do we all have the same role? No. Do we need each other? Without question, we need each other. And the body's never been designed by God to function individually, us doing our own thing. We're all to be working together. But one of the ways that we'll learn how to work together is to slow the roll a little bit when it comes to our gifts and find out how and when and where and what our measure of faith that we've been assigned and how that all fits together. And in time, you will learn how God's designed you for this time and this season that you're to fit in with the body. Now, 
there are spiritual gift tests out there, and I'm going to just tell you straight up, I've never been a fan of them. I, I don't really think that God designed to reveal to you your gift because you took a spiritual gift test. I take, I've taken them over the years, and I can tell where they're going and what they're looking for, and if I want that, I can give myself a higher score. Now, hang on for a second. I didn't find out I was called to preach because I took a spiritual gift test. Do you know how I found out that God had called me and gifted me to preach? I got involved in the local body. I started going to Sunday school classes. I started going to Bible studies and small groups. I would go to worship. And as we would sit and spend time together and, and, and do life together, devote ourselves to each other and fellowship and study the word and worship and all that. And, we, and I was a part of a, a, a little church called Lockmar Baptist Church when this was all starting to come to fruition. My wife and I were engaged and then newlyweds, and as we started to get involved in this little congregation, people would sit in Sunday school and say, Jim, you, you actually had a couple of good points in Bible study today. Would you teach next week? And I'd be like, huh? I don't know. Okay, I'll try it. And then I became youth pastor here, and there was a pastor named Wayne Harvey who, man, I thank God for Wayne Harvey. He saw something in me, and he'd say, one Sunday night a month, you're going to preach. <laughs> I'm going to what? But I learned. I learned to study, and I learned how to prepare and not to prepare. And then all of a sudden, one day, Pastor Wayne says, you're going to preach Sunday, mo Sunday morning? And over time, it became evident what my gift was and my calling was, and God began to shape and to mold me and to train me. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something that a lot of people don't understand. And I don't know if you will, but I'm just going to say it. Back when God called me to preach at 13 years old, and then I ran from it until I was 19. Back when he called me to preach, I had this sense back then that my role was to travel and speak to the church in America mainly and to get them ready for the return of Jesus Christ. It was strong. It was palpable. Stupidly. Like Joseph, I tried to make it go happen. My wife will tell you, when we were first married, I dragged her all over the country to this little place and that little place. I preached in little towns, and I was a Christian comedian. I used to go around to youth events, and I would do Christian comedy, and I would bring, do comedy and then bring the gospel presentation and all this stuff. And I tried to go travel and bring, teach the word to churches, and it all fell flat. I ended up becoming not only youth pastor at churches, I then became an associate pastor at a church in New Orleans while I was in seminary. And then a little church in Chicago asked me to come and be their pastor. And then from there, I ended up back here as senior pastor where I had been youth pastor. And now I've been in this traveling ministry for almost 16 years. And when I resigned the pastoral ministry at this church back in 2005, a lady ran up to my wife and said, when did you know about this? Becky's answer was awesome. She said, I knew when I married him, it just took a while. You see, just because God stirred my heart doesn't mean that it was going to happen right then. And if you believe that God's prepared in advance the works for you to do, don't panic. He's been preparing you, and he'll show you, but you do need to be serious about the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. So what does in proportion to our faith mean? This measure of faith, go back to Romans 12, look at verses 3 through 8 again. For by the grace given to me, 
Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we all have different parts and the parts don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually parts one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, we've already seen that there's a one aspect of the, the faith that God's assigned. We all have different roles, but there's more to it than that. And also, we need to use our gifts in proportion to our faith. So I'm going to start breaking this down, hopefully to help you start to figure this out. Because maybe some of you still aren't at that point yet where you know what it is that God's prepared for you to do. You don't know how you fit into the body, and you're curious about it. Well, first off, understand this. In, I love how he says, if our gift is preaching or prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. In other words, you may have two different people that are gifted by God to preach. Correct? One may be gifted to preach to thousands and comfortable in front of thousands, where the other one will say, uh-uh, I'm not preaching in front of thousands, but they'd be gifted to preach in a smaller setting. One of the problems we've had over the years in our churches is we just assume, like the rest of the world, that the associate pastor, if he'd ever get off his rear end, he could become a senior pastor one day. Or with the youth guy, when's he going to get some gumption and stop working with youth and start becoming the senior pastor? And we just assume that everybody's supposed to move up the ladder. But actually, one of the, some of the healthier churches in our area, in our country that I travel to, are the ones who, the associates are the ones who say, this is what God's called me to do, and I'm going to just be an associate the rest of my life. I'm going to use it in proportion to the faith that he's given me and this, the assignment that I've been given. There are those who have been gifted by God to stand in front of big groups. There are others who just aren't. But I've dealt with so many churches where they just assumed the associate should be the next senior or the youth should be the next senior. In some places that is God's plan and in many places is not. And on top of that, I'll go into these churches and they'll love their pastor. He can't preach his way out of a paper bag. But they just assume he's a called to preach and teach the word. Let's get him in the pulpit. I was with his church. This man's with Jesus now. His name's Barry, friend of mine. And I would preach at Barry's church on a regular basis as he found out about my ministry. And everybody will tell you because they love Barry. Barry wasn't the best preacher. But he was pastor of the church. Well, one day I got there early and he was teaching a basic new believers Bible class in a little room before the service that I was going to preach that night. And I just snuck in and sat there and watched. And I saw Barry's gifting. I sat there just going, this man is able to teach these new believers in a way I never, ever could. I'm too deep. I want to show 100 scriptures. I want to take you further than they were capable of being. But Barry had the ability to sit with people that didn't even know who God was or what's Jesus. And he, like teaching children, could teach adults in a way that they got it. I realized Barry wasn't supposed to be the senior pastor. Barry was just called and gifted by God to be a part of the body that teaches new believers. So don't just assume that two people are both called with the same gift have the same proportion to their faith. You need to use your gifting in proportion to your faith. I've asked pastors and pastors, uh, uh, Preachers and teachers around the country, what is it, if I gave you a blank sheet of paper 
And I, I'm going to ask you this question tonight, too, because it doesn't only apply to pastors. But if I gave you a blank sheet of paper and I said, write down whatever it is you wanted to do for the Lord, what would you write? Now, don't just assume that it's something that the church already is doing, because we have a tendency to do that. Someone feel called to the ministry. If they're young, they're going to be youth pastor. If they can sing, they're going to do worship ministry. And we just try to fit people into the holes in the assignments we've already got put together. But God has a plan for each of us. If I give you a blank sheet of paper and I said, do you write down whatever it is you feel God's gifted you? And if you get to design what you did in ministry, what would it be? Now, that doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen tomorrow. But it'll help you understand a little bit of what God's put in your heart and he's stirring you up to do. But a lot of times I'll ask pastors or teachers this and they'll say, I just want to teach the word of God. Well, that, I tell them that sounds great, but that's not the right answer. They say, what do you mean? I say, do you want to teach young people? Do you want to teach older people? Do you want to teach new believers? Do you want to take strong, mature Christians deeper? You see, we don't just say, I want to teach the word of God. You got to find out the proportion of your faith and the measure of your faith and who it is he's wired you to teach. Paul would say, I... I want to go preach to the Jews. And God says, yeah, I'm going to use you to preach to the Jews, but I'm going to have you get to the Jews via the Gentiles. Don't run off, Paul. Don't just assume you know how this is all going to play out. But what would I ask you? What is it that you would do? I actually think the Bible shows us that God puts in our heart what he'd already prepared and planned to bless us with and through before it's time. I've already showed you how he told Abraham 25 years before it was going to happen about what God had prepared for him and David and Joseph. How, have, you ever, have you ever thought about Adam's situation? If you go back in your minds to Genesis and how the Bible shows us that God created Adam first. Eve was not made yet. The animals had all been made before Adam and then God made Adam. And then the Bible says that God had all the animals come before Adam and he named them. Yet no helper was found suitable for him. Hang on for a second. God, your word tells us that you had prepared before the foundation of the world that Jesus was going to become born of a woman, live as a sinless human being, die in our place, rise from the dead. This was all planned before you were born. So you had to have known there was going to be man and woman and sin and the need of a savior. Why were you having all the animals come before Adam to see if a helper would be found suitable for him. God says, hey, see if you can find someone here that'll work for you. But no helper was found suitable for him. And then it hit me one day. I bet you while Adam was naming the animals, he probably thought to himself, even the hippo's got a girlfriend. Where's mine? And what happens next? God makes Eve out of his own body. When Adam wakes up from that sleep, Listen to what he says. He said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. In other words, she looks like me. God had already put inside of Adam a desire for what God had already planned to bless him with. Do you understand? And God does that with us as well. But we need to, with sober judgment, each in accordance with the measure of faith that we've been assigned, find out what our gifts are and our roles are and use them in proportion to our faith. Look again at what Paul says. Not just preaching. If it's in, in your service, in your serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who act, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
We all need to find out not only what our gifts are, but what the proportion of our faith is, specifically how, how have we been wired to do that gift. But at the same time, there's more to this than just that. In proportion to our faith also means that whatever we do in serving God, we need to be doing it by faith in God and His power to make it work, not our strength or effort. In proportion to your faith is not just if you've been called to preach to 50s instead of thousands, be comfortable with that. It's also whatever it is He's gifted you to do, you need to learn how to do it by His power, in His timing, in His way, and you do it by faith. I've dealt with so many people, I know what God's called me to do, but the church won't let me do it. Well, you don't have much faith that the one who has a plan for you is going to do it. Doesn't the Bible say that God's the God, if, a, if He shuts the door, no one can open it, and if He opens the door, no one can shut it? If you really believe that God's called you and gifted you to do something, then believe that He will, and don't worry about whether or not man lets you do it. Either it's not time, or maybe it's somewhere else that he has for you to do it. But don't run off and try to make it happen. Do it in proportion to your faith and exercise your gifts, listen, by faith. Let me show you what the Bible says along that line. Go to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it. Oh, by the way, how are we, where, where, where to use it how? It says right there, to serve one another. Did you all remember 1 Corinthians 12? He's given us our gifts for the common good. If someone says, well, this is just a personal thing, it's not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are to be used to strengthen and to encourage and to bless the body and to build it up. If it's just between you and God, not a spiritual gift. Did you catch that? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Over the years as a pastor, I've dealt with a lot of people who are hard workers, but they spend all their time complaining how nobody helped them and nobody appreciated what they did. They weren't doing what they did by faith. They weren't doing it for the glory of God. They were doing it for their own glory. And they would get, has anybody ever heard the word burnt out in the church? You ever heard that one? I'm burnt out. Let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit ever run out? Now, hasn't he, promised, hasn't he promised us rivers of living water that we'd never thirst again? So if you're burnt out, there's a couple of options. One, you're doing something that God didn't empower you to do. It isn't empowering you to do, and you're doing it. Or two, you're doing what God's called you to do, but you're doing it in your own strength instead of resting in Him. Folks, if you are actually exercising your gifts by faith, you don't care if anybody notices. You don't care if you're doing it all by yourself. Because you're doing what God's called you to do by, for Him. At the end of Paul's life, I love this. He said, at my first defense, nobody stood by me. They all deserted me. May it not be held against them. 
I wasn't alone. The Lord was with me. By the way, that's word for word what Jesus said right before the cross. He said, you're all going to go away, all to your own homes. No one's going to stick around, but I won't be alone. My Father's going to be with me. Folks, when you are really exercising your gift, you don't care if anybody notices, because you're not doing it for man's attention. You're doing it for the Lord. And you are just trusting that it's the Lord who's going to make it work. If you spend all your time saying, well, I did it, it didn't really work, or I tried it, it doesn't, relax. Are you doing it so you can get the accolades and measure how you're doing? Or are you just doing what he's asked you to do, leaving the results to him? Go to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 28 and 29. Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Remember, we're to devote ourselves to good works. We're not to be sluggish about this. We're to be putting effort into it. But don't go over the edge where you're putting your effort into it. Do what he's asked you to do. Whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord with all your might. But whose might is it actually? It's God's might. It's God's strength. It's interesting. And as I've had the privilege of teaching on cruise ships, and we're going to be doing that again my wife and I have learned to love cruising, and I don't just go on cruises when I'm teaching on a Bible cruise. If we get a chance, and my wife being a travel agent, we find a good deal, we're going to jump on a cruise ship. I love it. But a lot of times when it's just my wife and I on a cruise ship, what we'll do is we'll grab the daily paper that gets delivered to our room, and we'll look for a Bible study and just see if there's a Bible study on there. And many's the time, we'll find one, and we'll get up that morning, and we'll go to the Bible study, and we'll just show up. No one knows who Jim Johnson is at these things. Although I was on one cruise ship, and the guy goes, I know who you are. But besides that one time, most of the time, nobody knows who we are. And we'll sit in on the Bible study. And of course, I can't help but share a couple of things and point a couple of things out from his word. And inevitably, someone will say, would you teach the study tomorrow? And I'm like, let me pray about it. Yes. All right, I'll do it. And I'll teach. And then they'll say, well, would you teach it tomorrow? And then someone will always say, I know you're on your vacation. Are you sure, are you sure you're, you're okay with doing this? And I tell them the same thing. This didn't work. They always say, we don't want to make you work while you're on vacation. It's not work. This is fun. This is what he's called me to do. If I got to do this every day, 24 hours a day, I would. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, there were years that I would do it in my strength. And I would be like, oh, I got another sermon. Oh, I got another thing. Now I, I don't see it that way anymore. Because I've learned, and God empowers me. And my wife will tell you, I can sit down in an hour and write the whole Bible study. It's just like, boom, 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 I can't write fast enough, and boom. And that, because I'm doing radio, so I do six radio programs a week, and I have the Bible studies, and I also have other things that we're working on. And Elise and I are working on writing projects each day. And you know what? It's fun. And you will find as well for you that when you use the strength that God provides, you'll find it to be a joy and not a burden. Again, if you're feeling burnt out, you're either doing something that God did not gift you to call you to do, or you're doing what he's called you to do in your own strength for your own glory. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians 
2, verses 16 and 17. It says, now may the Lord, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through, Jesus, through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Who's supposed to establish you in that good work that he's prepared in advance for you to do? Jesus and God, yeah. So, how are you going to know what your gift is? How are you going to know what he's prepared in advance for you to do. There's a couple of things we've already touched on today. Throw them out. How are you going to know? I've given you a few answers to that question. Get involved in the life of a church. Get involved with a group of people. Start hanging out with folks. And when you get involved, don't just go to church and sit there and decide whether or not you like the sermon or the music or whether the air conditioning was too hot or too cold. Get involved in the life of the body. And as you do... How you fit into the body will become evident not only to you, but to the people around you. That's one of the ways. Remember Romans 12, verses 1 and 2? What was the end of verse 2? He will show you His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He'll show you. He'll also stir your heart. Remember that? He'll stir your heart. You're going to sense that there's aspects of the Christian life that you're going to have a passion for. Be careful. Once you start getting a passion for it, you're going to now start judging all your brothers and sisters as to whether or not they're as passionate about that area as you. If I were to take as a traveling preacher and get a bunch of pastors into a room and say to them, what's the most important thing in the church? Is it evangelism? Is it discipleship? Is it music and worship? What is the most important thing? The evangelists are going to say what? Evangelism! The, the associate pastors that are in charge of education and discipleship are going to say, no, discipleship! And they're going to fight with each other over it. The music people are going to say, no, worship, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. No, the preachers are going to say, preaching the word! Oh, be careful. When he stirs your heart, Satan's going to want to get into the flesh. And you're going to want to kind of decide everybody else should feel as strongly as you do about that area. No, each do the gift that he's assigned you. Man, I thank God for the people that have been gifted with generosity. Folks, I'm going to look you right in the eye. I'm able to go travel and preach and teach, and we don't worry about money because people support and give generously. I'm able to call churches and say, I don't charge. We're going to Scottsdale, Arizona in January, and the people that were vetting us for coming out there hadn't heard about my ministry until they had somehow come in contact with us, and they want us to come out and do a whole prophecy weekend, and they're doing the whole thing. What do you charge? What do you need? Blah, blah, blah. And I say, look, we'll pay for our own plane ticket. We'll pay for our own hotels. We'll cover all our own meals. We'll do our own rental car. We don't charge anything. We're never going to say to you, if you give us enough money, we'll come teach you the Word of God. We're going to come free. Whatever you give us is great, and if you give us nothing, we will still come. And they look at you and they go. But you know why we're able to do that? One, we believe God, that he'll provide for whatever it is he's asked us to do. And two, God has used people whose gift is giving to support the ministry so that we don't worry about that. And I say to you, as much as you might think, Jim, you're going to get a lot of reward when you get to heaven. If you've been giving gifts to people that do these things, you're getting rewarded as well, because that's what God's gifted you to do. By the way, 
You know, if you go back, we don't have time to go there. This is one more thing I want to deal with before we close tonight. But if you go back and look at Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. Remember, one had been given five, another two, and another one each according to their ability. By the way, who determined their ability? God. The one who had been given the five talents was turned into ten. And the Lord says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. You'll be given much. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had been given the two, it had turned into four. And he heard word. You can double check me. Word for word, the exact same thing, the one that had the ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. You have been given much. Enter into the joy of your master. It doesn't matter whether or not you're measured in this life, but the Lord will reward you for what it is he's asked you to do. Now, at the end of chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians, and we don't have time to really dive into it too much, but it's going to head into where I want to close tonight. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's something that Paul says here that I think has been used incorrectly for a lot of years, because it's not the greatest translation in our Bibles Look at the end of chapter 12, verse 31. He says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you still a more excellent way. Now hang on for a second. If you take that for what it, how it reads, it'll contradict the whole rest of chapter 12, would it not? Has he not just said, each of you have been assigned a role. They're all different. You need to know what your role is. Be willing to do your role. Paul's already said to us, don't think of yourself more highly than you want. Each in accordance with the assignment you've been given and the measure of faith you've been given. Use it in proportion to your faith. What I think, and I, I've looked at some other scholars who have looked at this, and they, they say this as well. He's kind of he's chiding them a little bit because they're desiring the more important gifts. That's what the church was doing. And he says, no, let me show you a more excellent way. He's not saying that we should seek the higher gifts. He's saying, be happy with the gifts you've been given. And you're kind of foolish to seek higher gifts because they're all the same in the eyes of God. Even though man might measure them differently, God doesn't. But then he says in chapter 13, remember the letter didn't have a break here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, as for prophecies, as impressive as they may seem, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it's going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even I, as I have been fully known. So these, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Listen to what Paul says. He had dealing with a church that was all jockeying for position on who could have the most important, flashing, and impressive gift. He says, actually... Y'all are seeking the higher gifts when there's no such thing as a higher gift. 
We didn't even get into the fact that he talks about there's parts of our body that aren't as noticeable and they're the most important. They're given the greatest honor. He then says, and it doesn't matter how impressive your gifts are, if you don't have love, what good is it? So when Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each of you with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given, he then also says this, if you get focused on your gift, that doesn't mean that you're walking in the Spirit. And that's why I want to close tonight in the few minutes that we have left. One last aspect of this that I want to bring out is this. That just because you have a gift and are using it doesn't necessarily mean you're walking in close fellowship with God. And don't just assume that the preachers and teachers and singers or leaders in the churches that you see using the gifts God's given them, don't just assume that even though you're seeing the gifts, it means that they're walking closely with the Lord. Have we not over the years all of a sudden realized that there were a lot of people that were living double lives and we had no idea? Is it possible to be saved using the gifts you've been given and not walk closely with Jesus? Yes. Isn't that what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12? These were believers who all have been given different gifts, but they all were in the flesh. Even though they were gifted and using their gifts, they were using them in the wrong way, and they were doing it for themselves. So as much as I could spend the rest of my time warning you about these false teachers or preachers who have gifts, but they, you know, they're wolves, watch out. I'm going to actually say as we close tonight, you will have a lot more joy in your walk with the Lord, finding the gift God has for you, if you first learn, don't be seeking the gift, but seek the giver and walk with Jesus. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that, you may be filled, that I may be filled with joy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Jump down to verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's just the, probably the page right before that on, in your Bible. 1 Timothy 6, listen to verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Go back up to verses 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, talking to Timothy, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, 
who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Did you see how many times Paul in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy kept saying, I know you're saved. I want you to fan into flame the gift that you've been given, but I want you to guard the deposit that you've been given. I want you to avoid irreverent babble. I want you to avoid getting puffed up with knowledge. I want you to avoid thinking that you're super spiritual because you got a gift. And we are going to talk about this a whole lot more next week. But Paul's about to go into how we're to treat each other And as we've just talked about, I am unfortunately seeing a lot of people in the church today, even using their gifts, tear each other apart over doctrine, over methods in the church, over who's right and who's wrong. And Jesus himself has said, the way that the world will know that we're his disciples is by our love one for another. And Paul's already said, big deal about what gift you have If you don't have love, God's not impressed. You understand? So using it in proportion to your faith means know what level he's gifted you and don't try to go beyond it. Use his power by faith when you do the gifts he's given you. Keep your eyes on him. And don't just assume that just because you have a gift, that means you're walking with Jesus. (laughs) You're going to have to work on daily keeping your eyes on Jesus. Because even our gifts can get in the way sometimes of our following Jesus. A whole lot more next week. I love you. We'll see you then.